Hi, I'm Anna, a young university student. And I'm Marissa, a middle-aged palliative care doctor. And it might seem like we don't have that much in common. But we're both really passionate about climate change. And we're mother and daughter. So welcome to Green Girl Talk. So for today's feature focus, we're going to talk about youth climate activists. And there are actually uh, a lot of youth climate activist groups that are really good and we should talk about sometime. But for today, we decided to focus on two individuals who are both pretty inspirational. And I'm going to talk about one who's probably more well-known to everybody, Greta Thunberg. And I'm going to talk about someone named Autumn Peltier. Cool. Uh, Should I go first? Sure. Okay. Um, So Greta is a 17-year-old Swedish uh, young woman who, um, it seems like now everybody knows who she is, or at least everybody I know knows who she is, Um, but that wasn't true a few years ago. So it's 2020 now, but Greta only started her school strike in August 2018. Um, So it's uh, just about two years ago. And at that time, she uh, sat outside the Swedish parliament every day for three weeks. Um, And it was uh, in demand for asking the government to reduce their emissions to be in accordance with the Paris Agreement from 2015. And the reason that she was doing it was because there were elections coming up and and, um, she was just too upset about climate change to focus on school, and her parents agreed that it was uh, worthwhile. Um, very quickly, uh, things started to get posted on social media about her, word spread, and she developed more and more uh, followers. Um, so even within the, the same year, um, so she started August 2018, and In 2018, she was asked to address the UN Climate Change Conference. Um, Since that time, in the last basically 18 months, she's won a ton of awards. Uh, She's Time Magazine's youngest person of the year. She's on the Forbes uh, list of world's 100 most powerful women. She's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize twice. Um, and she managed to graduate high school. Um, Greta has some uh, mental health issues, which uh, have also uh, come into public view. And, and uh, in fact, in the three to four years before 2018, she struggled quite a bit with depression. Um, and uh, my sense is some of her activism uh, and some of her depression were related to, to climate change. Um, she certainly has been uh, celebrated by many, many people, if you look at her awards, but she's also been criticized um, publicly, um, I think, which comes with the territory when you become famous. Um, she's been criticized by some world leaders um, quite publicly. And I thought it's very interesting, her approach when she's criticized by them, like whatever they say about her that's critical she just changes her uh twitter bio to include whatever nasty thing they've said about her um and i just i really admired that as a reaction i think that's a really smart way to go um in uh uh 
2019, um, because of uh, Greta, there was uh, felt to be an increase both in the publication and the sales of children's books about climate change. Since I've written a book about climate change for young adults, I was very encouraged to see that. Um, and I'll say just one final thing about Greta, which is um, one of the things that she's also known for, in addition to her amazing speeches, is that she spearheaded an anti-flying movement and in her home country, especially, there's um, now developed something called flight shame, where it's like people are embarrassed to be flying. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'll talk about flying more later on in the podcast. But Greta, when she came to the U.S., I think most people know this, or when she came to North America, she didn't uh, fly. She took a, a boat across um, and then to go back to Europe as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So the person I picked, Autumn Pelletier, isn't as well-known as Greta. Um, She is a 15-year-old Indigenous water warrior from Canada, and she's been fighting for water rights since she was 8 years old. Wow. And it kind of started because her great-aunt was also a well-known advocate for water protection and conservation of the Great Lakes. And then she happened to pass away in 2019, Mm -hmm. and Autumn is kind of continuing the work for her. But the other reason why she became interested in water rights happened when she was eight years old. Mm-hmm. And she's from the Wake-Wem-Kong, okay. I don't okay. think I'm saying it right, um, territory on Manitoulin Island, yeah, which is in Ontario. I actually didn't know that. No. Um, which is the largest freshwater island in the world. Oh. Which I, didn't know. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. So she herself had never experienced trouble with having clean water and mm. clean drinking water but then when she was visiting another reserve reservation she saw a sign that warned against drinking the water because it was toxic and for her that was such a strange mm. concept that you couldn't just drink the water and that's what really inspired her yeah and then a lot of the other things that have inspired her is based on her culture and right. the people she's around um and one of her quotes that i liked she yeah. said in her speech many people don't think water is alive or has a spirit my people believe this to be true. We believe our water is sacred because we were born of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do think water is yeah. special and we don't really appreciate it because we don't actually have as much fresh water as we think. Right. Like we, I've never had an issue of not being able to just drink water straight from the tap. So it's not something I think about a lot either. Yeah. But there are many, many people mm-hmm. around the world um, and, you know, we think about it as being in third world countries, but here in Canada, most many, many indigenous people don't have mm-hmm. clean drinking water. In the U- U.S., there's lots of communities like Flint, Michigan, that doesn't have clean drinking mm-hmm. water. Uh, so some of the things that she's spoken at, she spoke at the Children's Climate Conference in Sweden. Mm-hmm. I, I think she's pretty young when she did that also. Yeah. She's probably like 11 or wow. 10 years old. Um, she spoke at the United Nations in New York. Yeah. That was the speech I watched, and that was really good. And then she spoke at an Assembly of First Nations gathering, which was in 2016, so she was 12 years old. Um, and I also watched that video, yeah. that, and it was her telling the experience of meeting Justin Trudeau, but there was also a video, and it was very sad. Um, so she was supposed to deliver him a water bundle, which was... I think there was tobacco, a red cloth, and some bowls. Okay. So it's something special to her culture, and it was a gift for him. Okay. Um, 
And she had written a speech also, and she wanted to... It was, like, three pages. They showed the speech. Yeah. And she was excited to read it to him. And then when she got on stage with the elders and with Trudeau, they were, like, just given the water bundle. Right. So she didn't have time to say her speech, which is really sad, of course. Because she was, like, three pages long, and she clearly worked very hard on it. Yeah. Um, So the only thing she got to say to him, she said, I'm very unhappy with the choices you've made as she was handing it to him, and I think that's a very brave thing for right. like a 12-year-old to say <laughs> to the prime minister. I don't think I could ever do that. Wow. And then he said, I understand that. And yeah. then she started crying, and it is the saddest video. Oh. I watched it twice, and I cried. <laughs> and then all she said after that, she said, the pipelines. Right. And I just thought, oh it's God. such a sad video to watch, because yeah. she's crying so much. And then she kind of just gets brought off right. the stage. Right. And she said the one thing he said to her, he said, I will protect the, I will protect the water. Right. But she... But then in the interview after, she was like, I don't know if he's going to stick to that promise. Yeah. Um, so that was like four years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure. <laughs> I don't right. keep in track of things like yeah, that. Yeah, if he's, if he's been protecting the water or not. I mean, mm-hmm. I think to some degree, but not maybe as much as he mm-hmm. could. And then the other thing I thought was very impressive, in April 2019... She was named the Chief Water Commissioner by the Anishinaabek Nation. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very impressive because yeah. she's like 15 right. <laughs> or 14 then yeah. to be named. That yes. seems like a pretty big position. Yeah. Um, and that's a political advocacy group for 40 First Nations across Ontario. Wow. So I thought that was really impressive. It is very impressive. And then I also believe that yeah. she said when she's older she wants to be Prime Minister or the Minister of the environment is right. that what it's called yeah yeah, yeah. how cool so would that be cool. oh i yeah. would totally vote for her for mm-hmm. prime minister yeah That's i just awesome. think it's really impressive that all these young kids are doing so much right it's very impressive yes yeah yeah very inspiring mm-hmm. for the tips they are related back to youth again yeah um so i guess when we were researching these people you always wonder like how did they get so involved and so interested in climate change and how can you inspire other youth youth youths yeah. <laughs> to do that yeah. um so mine are kind of parenting tips uh-huh. and stuff on how to teach your child about climate change or, okay. or like if you're a teacher right. or a caregiver yeah um so these are from the nrdc the national resources defense council okay so i just took some of the ones i thought were interesting yeah. but there were more so we can put a put link on. up or something yeah. um so for children ages zero to six, they obviously wouldn't understand the science. So at that age, what you want to do is just teach them that living things grow and thrive when we care for them. Mm-hmm. So it could be things like having a pet right. or plants. having a garden or plants, yeah. uh, just to teach them that you have to take care of these things mm-hmm. or they'll die. Right. And that builds an appreciation for nature. Yeah. And then for children age six to 12, they can kind of understand the science, but you still have to do it in more basic terms. Because obviously, if you say things about like greenhouse gases, that's a little confusing. Yeah. So, for explaining it to them, you might want to use like metaphors or analogies. I feel like one that people use sometimes is it's like a blanket. Right. People putting more blankets on the earth. Yeah. And it's too hot. Um, It also said that you can ask them what they've heard about climate change because at that age, they probably have at least heard the term. Yeah. And then see what they've heard. And kind of get rid of false ideas because mm-hmm. it's so easy to spread false information, especially with young kids because they don't really know what they're talking about. Right. Um, yeah. And then for kids 12 to 14, 
you want to encourage questions, mm-hmm. even if you don't know the answer, that's okay. Yeah. I think sometimes that's hard for right. adults if yes. the kid asks them a question and they don't know the answer. Yeah. And I thought this one was really interesting. It said, encourage personal strengths in expressing their concerns. Okay. So that would be things like um, if they're worried about like a specific animal being okay. endangered, they could do an art project about right. that or something, which I thought was an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or like going to a rally if that is something that would work better for them. Right. And then for ages 15 to 18, one of the things it said that, again, I think it's hard for adults, it said, let them educate you. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I think at that age it would be e- easy or possible right. for the kids to know more than the adults. Yeah. Um, and um, I think adults have trouble <laughs> like right. learning from people younger than them sometimes. Yeah, but I think that also that's a great idea because that's an age where where young people really feel like they know more than adults anyways, and mm-hmm. it's a chance to empower them and acknowledge them um, rather than discouraging them. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then it also said you can share stories about other youth activists because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're young, you would think, oh, I can't really do anything, though, because I'm so young. Right. But hearing about these other people, like the two we've talked about, it shows that you can make a difference. Yeah. And then the other thing is you can discuss coping strategies. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Greta had some depression that was right. probably partially due to climate change. So yeah. you can discuss ways to still stay positive yeah. about everything. And then overall, right. because after 18, it's not a <laughs> I guess, um, uh, I'm going to say stay positive. Yeah. And then the other thing... I don't think there's a specific way to say it, but it's something that you talked about when you were writing your book. You said you wanted to, you wanted, you don't want it to be so depressing that you think, oh, there's nothing you can do. Right. But you don't want it to seem so optimistic that you wouldn't do anything. Yeah. You need to still. Yeah. Find that balance yeah. of, of, you know, feeling empowered to do something, feeling optimistic that you can be part of the change while at the same time acknowledging how serious uh, the circumstances are. So for today's Arts and Entertainment Review, I'm going to review a book that I read a little while ago. It's called Being the Change, Live Well and Spark a Climate Revolution. Um, So the book was published in 2017, and the author's name is Peter Kalamus, K-A-L-M-U-S. Um, and interesting, he is an atmospheric scientist at Caltech, and he also works for NASA, so he's a very uh, educated, uh, well-informed individual, and he lives in California with his wife and two kids. Um, the book is divided into two parts. The first part is a, a explanation about climate change. So even if you don't know anything about climate change before you read this book, it is a really good intro to it. Um, He keeps the science, I think, pretty understandable. And um, he explains sort of not only like the the science of greenhouse gases and and like that, but um, all the things that sort of go into climate change. So overpopulation, industrial agriculture, politics, um, world views of, of being part of nature versus separate from nature. Um, he explores all of that in the first half of the book, including statistics on like how bad things are and how bad things are going to get, um, which can be pretty depressing. But the second part of the book, he, he offers a response to it. So like, okay, now that we know all this information, what can we do? And his response 
is characterized as sort of a mindful opting out um, of this culture that's produced climate change um, and aligning ourselves and our lives with the biosphere. So he sort of shows how in his own life he was able to live on only 10% of the fossil fuel that he used to before. Um, and that includes, like, he's got a wife and two kids, so including the whole family in that. Um, so obviously things like um, diet and, and uh, growing their own food because they live in California or, you know, things that they can't grow, um, uh, getting organic and local produce for uh, riding his bike instead of taking a car. He rides his bike to work. Um, and one of the biggest things in his book, like he does give you an idea how to calculate your own carbon footprint. I know you had talked on a previous episode mm-hmm. about some online tools. Um, so he gives an idea of that and shows sort of how he calculated his own. And for him, one of the biggest things had been flying. And he wasn't like a crazy world traveler, but he was a scientist. So like once or twice a year, he'd go to conferences to learn or to speak at conferences or to get together with other researchers. And then their family doesn't live, like their extended family doesn't live that super close. So typically like they fly home for Christmas or Thanksgiving to see their fa- their extended family or whatnot. And when he made this decision, he basically stopped flying altogether. And if there was conferences, he was just like, well, I'll speak remotely or I'll see if I can attend remotely or else I won't participate. And when they do go see their family, they drive the whole way, even though it takes a few days. And then he has a car that runs on, like, not fossil fuel. I forget what. It's not an electric car. Um, but anyways, when I when I read that book, it definitely also really inspired me to try and cut back on my flying as much as I could. Um, and that was a few years ago. And I've definitely been flying less since then, though not at all. But I thought it also sort of dovetailed with Greta and her mm-hmm. uh, flight shame and anti-flying movement. And it's also very interesting because now it's COVID and so yeah. people are definitely <laughs> flying less and, and uh, finding other ways to participate in, in work through Zoom meetings or whatever and ways to vacation closer to home. And I hope that it's something that after COVID is over that people continue to really, really fly a lot less than they used mm-hmm. to. And so, sorry, so finally, I would highly, highly recommend this book to anybody, even if you don't know anything about climate change. Um, It provides a really good overview. Okay, and in our good news segment today, um, I have two stories. Uh, I try and stay with what's newest, and so these were uh, brand new stories this week. And one was uh, focused on our Canadian government. Um, And I was really uh, pleased to see that they have invested $2.6 million to help Alberta farmers create plant protein products like meatless hamburgers and meatless sausages and stuff. Um, So Alberta is sort of in Canada, it's like a province known for its steak and its cows Um, and oil but also like it's big cow country and steaks and so helping farmers um, to transition away from uh, cattle farming and to farming other protein sources and making them things that are interesting uh, for other people to eat Um, I was really happy about that and excited to try some new brands. We already eat Mm -hmm. a lot of um, vegetarian burgers and stuff like that, but I was looking for new brands to try. Um, The second story 
uh, I was really interested in because it's about storytelling and okay. movie making uh, and climate change. And it's about indigenous people. <laughs> so I guess there were um, there's a group that was uh, going to make documentaries down in uh, South America about the indigenous people and climate change. Um, and when they got down there, they actually sort of changed what they were doing and decided rather than making the movie themselves, they founded a nonprofit um, called uh, People's Planet Project, and what they're doing with it is teaching indigenous people how to use the technology to make their own documentaries or film their own stories. Um, so right now it's in two countries, Ecuador and Brazil. Uh, and the indigenous people in Ecuador and Brazil are often on the front lines of anything from like uh, uh, land grabbing to deforestation to fires um, like that. And so allowing them to tell their own stories rather than somebody else coming flying in there and telling the stories for them I think is really great um, and uh, so they're they're providing them with the technology they're teaching them the technology so that um, storytellers in these indigenous communities storytelling obviously already exists will have new tools in which to share their knowledge and to preserve their knowledge and pass it on to other generations um, and to the world at large. Um, so basically, they've created a storytelling platform called Tribal Stories. And I'm really curious to see, like, I'm just chomping at the bit to see, when can we see these stories? <laughs> when can we see these films? I just can't wait. So mm -hmm. I'll keep my eye on that, and as soon as they're out, I will uh, give you a review. Mm -hmm. uh, just going back to your first one, I made yeah. me remember something that I read. Uh, KFC is getting vegan... Chicken, chicken. <laughs> yeah. I in Canada, yeah. I think I'm not sure if the U.S. already has it or I they don't, know don't either, have it. But I'm I think so it was excited. August 10th, so they might already have oh, it. Oh, we should check out and see if there's anywhere mm. near us yeah. that has so that's it. Exciting. That sounds great! Yay! <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it, and stay tuned for more. Mm -hmm.